Dear congregation, <clears throat> I think if we would have been in Antioch that day, in chapter 2 of Galatians, what Paul was speaking about, many of us would have felt a little embarrassed. It happened during one of those love feasts in the church. We would see, say, a fellowship meal. And there was this time of fellowship, which would be a, a time of, of, of conversation and, and bonding together as a church family. Everyone was there. Everyone was supposed to, be, to have an enjoyable time, but Paul sees a certain situation that really bothers him. And he sees it happening before his eyes, and he stands up. And he rebukes his fellow apostle, Peter, openly and publicly. That's what we have been reading tonight. Can you imagine what that must have been? Why did Paul do so? Here is Paul, a pillar in the church, we would say, and here is Peter, another pillar in the church of God and Jesus Christ, an apostle, both apostles. And the important question that we are going to ask ourselves and try to answer with the Lord's help is why? Why does Paul do so? Why did he not just wait a moment and say, well, you know, I will talk to him in private. Why is it really that important? Because we all realize that when we do something like that, and we are called to do something like that, we don't just do that because we like it or so. This was important enough for Paul to stand up and rebuke Peter right in the face. What was the reason? Why did Paul ignore it? He felt that he had to defend the gospel. He understood the gospel, and he needed to defend it. As we hope to see, it had everything to do with not only his understanding of the gospel, but also his living out of the gospel. And so with God's help, we would like to consider that what happened that day in Antioch and uh, the explanation that follows about the gospel and what that means for our lives. Our text is Galatians 2, verse 19 and 20, where we read, For I, through the law, am dead to the law, that I might live unto God. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I... But Christ liveth in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So our theme is living out of Christ. First of all, we look at our failing righteousness, verse 19a our failing righteousness. 
Secondly, we think about our faithful righteousness. Verse 20a. And then our fruitful response. Verse 19b and 20b. So our failing righteousness, our faithful righteousness, our fruitful response. So let's go back for a moment to, to Antioch and come and see what happens there because our text is written in that context and is written also for the Galatians who struggled with a similar issue. Paul had been working among the Christians in Antioch for some time and for several years and that was the place where they first were called Christians. Remember that, children? Antioch? They were called Christians. Started out as a, as a name to, to mock them, but they embraced it. The name of Christ was in there. They embraced that. And while Paul was working there, we read in verse 11 that Peter came for a visit. He came to visit, and Peter... Uh, it was everything was wonderful until something happened. Peter had been eating with other people, with both Jews and Gentiles, and Peter was one who worked in Jerusalem, or no, rather, he, he had been eating there with the Jews, and then uh, um, a, a group of people came from Jerusalem. They were the people who were ministered by from James, and there it happened. He might have probably not been used to eat both with the Jews and the Gentiles. Peter would not have been used so much to that. He was, he was used to minister only merely to the Jews. Generally, Paul was used to, to travel to places and and minister also among the Gentiles. And, and as this group of Jerusalem comes, these Jews or Jeff that, that are being taught by James, most likely they were converts of the Pharisees who take, took things rather traditionally. That's when Pe Peter became double-minded and that's when Peter resurrected law-keeping. Children, in your mind, just picture Peter has been eating with all of the people, both, both Jews and Gentiles, and now there comes this different group in, and now he st suddenly starts to say, well, I'm not going to eat with the Gentiles, but I'm only going to eat with the Jews. And so he, he's avoiding certain tables, and he's going there and, and not there. Why is he doing that? There's pressure from outside. Suddenly there is this pressure from this group that has come in who keep those Jewish dietary laws, laws about diets as God has prescribed in the Old Testament children that are now done and over with in the New Testament. And those disciples of James, which was not a sin, uh, slowly but surely they would fade out those laws, but they were still keeping those laws. And so Peter begins to waver on the gospel. 
Now, maybe he didn't completely think these things through properly, but there he is, denying the gospel, denying that liberty that God's people have received in the New Testament, liberty from all those ceremonial laws that cannot save us, but we're only pointers to Jesus Christ. Liberty from ceremonial law-keeping. Don't you want to ask, children, Peter, have, have you forgotten that time when God showed you something? Do you remember that tablecloth, children? It came from, from heaven, and, and, and God said to Peter, kill and eat. And there were both clean and unclean uh, animals in that tablecloth. Peter, have you forgotten about that? What did God teach you? What did he say? Didn't he command you to to kill both clean and unclean animals? And wasn't that to say that God also accepts Gentiles? And that these laws have come to an end? Didn't the Lord confirm that also, Peter? When you went into the house of Cornelius... And when he poured out his spirit upon the Gentiles, this Gentile family. And don't we want to ask this question to Peter as well? Weren't you part of that synod, Acts 15, where they decided that they would not lay extra burdens upon upon the Gentiles? Not those Jewish laws that couldn't save anyway. Peter, haven't you for, have you forgotten how happy you were when you realized that God is not a respecter of persons, but that he graciously works both in Jew and Gentile? Here we see a man. A man of like passions as us. Yes, he was a pillar in the church, Years ago, he denied Jesus Christ. Why? Pressure from outside. And here, he denies the liberty that Christ has brought through the gospel. Why? Pressure from outside. You see, some sins we can struggle with our lifelong, can't we? This is Peter's one. Now he's turning away from the gospel back to bondage, back to darkness. Can we all in some way identify with that? Haven't we had times when you and I look back at our lives and said, there I denied Jesus Christ. I should have spoken. I should not have been ashamed of the gospel. He is so worthy. Even after we have, sa- have been saved, we, we might have t- had times that, that we have been ashamed of the gospel or we we. Turn away from the gospel, how? We think we need to earn something. We need to do something to add, to make us acceptable in God's sight. Acceptable in God's sight or 
Sometimes we even think in people's sight what, what they think. Feeling pressured? Do you recognize that? The Bible tells us the fear of man is a snare, a trap. Children, a trap. You get stuck. It's difficult to get out. You see, whenever we embrace once again law-keeping in some ways, self-righteousness in some way, it brings us into darkness in our souls. Not light, not the light of the gospel. And Paul understood this. That's why he stood up, children. He stood up and, and he talked to Peter. Peter, right there. And he calls it dissimulation in our chapter, which means basically hypocrisy. What was Peter doing? Perhaps even without realizing he was doing this, he was saying about those gentle Christians, they are second-class Christians. And then we have the first-class Christians, the Jewish Christians. They keep those laws. Do you see that? First-class Christians, second-class Christians. Now, why is this so important? Why is this history recorded in the Bible? Because this is, this is all about the gospel. It's a gospel issue. Peter was saying to be a first-class Christian, you need to do certain things. Still keep those dietary laws. And the Galatians were struggling with that very same problem. They were listening to teachers. They, we call them the Judaizers. And they were saying similar things. You need to do this and that and the other thing. And then you are a true Christian. You must be circumcised. You need to keep certain feasts. Old Testament feasts. So by refusing to eat with Gentiles, he was telling the people that, they, that those Gentile Christians, they were unclean. They didn't belong. He was breaking the unity. Do you see that? He, he was telling them, you, in order to become a Christian, they, they needed to live like Jews. And Peter's actions then show that he and we in our minds can understand the gospel, but even after grace, our actions can sometimes deny the gospel. And that's why this rebuke was needed, and that's why this rebuke was needed openly and publicly because there, here was a public leader of the church, and that is what happened here. Paul understood this was a denial and distortion of the gospel. He, he said it very strongly. Children, listen to this language for a moment. Galatians 1 verse 8. If we or an angel, think about that, sinless angels, if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. Let him be cursed. 
Let the curse of God rest on that person. That's strong language, don't you think? And so Paul is reminding Peter here, we are saved by grace alone through faith in Christ alone. We talked about the solas this morning. Here we have them again. Not by law-keeping, not by rule-keeping. If we in somehow, in some way or another, try to add that we are saved by by grace, but we need to do this and this and this and this, we lose the gospel. That's what Peter thought. And so Paul stood up to him. And in contrast, therefore, Paul writes these verses in our text. Galatians 2, verse 19a. For I, through the law, am dead to the law. So the law was not dead. It still has power to convict. It still has a proper use. But Paul died to the law as a way of earning salvation. And think about that. Paul himself was a former Pharisee. And he says this. He loved law-keeping. He thought that was the way to heaven. Now notice it says in our text also, it doesn't say, I through the gospel am dead to the law. No, it is through the law. There is a convicting power in the law that we need. We need both law and gospel. Law to drive us out of our sins and out of our supposed ideas that we can somehow make ourselves acceptable to God Drive us out of that where? Drive us to the gospel, to Jesus Christ. Paul says, I am dead to the law. That means I see the holy requirements of God. God requires perfection from each one of us, you and me. If ever you want to By law-keeping, be saved, you need to be perfect. And through that condemning power of the law, Paul saw it. It's hopeless. I can never, ever reach perfection. I can't please God by my works. Beloved, have we come to that very place? you and I, where we give up on I need to do something in order to please God. Paul had given up all hope saving himself by being a good person, and that's what we, you and I, need. He came to that point in his life and he understood verse 16, for by the works of the law shall no man be justified. No man. Not any. And he understood as soon as you you go and and take a little bit of law-keeping back into finding acceptance with God, you destroy the whole gospel. 
And that's what he says in verse 18. If I build again those things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. Children, can you be perfect in your own strength? If I say to you, you just be a good boy, good girl, work hard, do better, is that going to please God? No, it's not. You will never be perfect. Neither will I. You need someone else, something better. Have you come to that point that you realize you, you are a sinner? You can never be perfect in the eyes of God. You can never keep the law. Paul says it here. I cannot keep the law. I'm dead to the law. But we all have such a, ever since the fall, paradise, we have this, this, this natural instinct, this natural inclination, this, this desire to somehow add something, don't we? Even believers at times when you know that what the Word of God says, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We can still go back somehow in our minds and, and be muddled about the gospel. We can somehow think we need to earn some favor with God. And Paul is saying here, I am dead to the law. That means the law can never condemn me anymore. I'm dead to the condemning power of the law. Why? Why, Paul? Well, because of Christ. When he, when he suffered on that cross, he nailed the handwriting of my sins, which is law-keeping, our sins and our law-keeping. He nailed that to the cross. And so, Paul is free. And all those who who trust in Christ are free. There from the cross, Jesus Christ cried out, remember children, it is finished. Basically saying, everything is paid for in full. But there are so many subtle ways in which you and I can secretly return to law keeping, is there not? In which we begin to trust in something that I, you and I do. For instance, well, I, I, had, I had really good prayer. Well, thank the Lord for that, but that's not going to make you more acceptable. Your acceptance is only in Jesus Christ. And that's precious. Don't get me wrong. But it doesn't make you more accepted. Maybe you shed a tear or you were moved in your soul. And that's precious. But that's not going to make you more accepted. There's so many subtle ways in which we think our feelings, our prayers, our, I do this for the Lord, I sacrifice. I had such a wonderful spiritual High time. I don't think that's going to make you more acceptable. 
in the sight of the Lord. All those things don't make you more acceptable in the sight of the Lord when you have ever trusted in Jesus Christ than compared to a day when you fell into sin. Do you believe that? Your acceptance doesn't change in a bad day compared to a good day if you trust in Jesus Christ. For as soon as you do, you destroy the gospel. Luther, he talked about an alien righteousness, children. Righteousness is good deeds that, that God only can give to us. Alien means foreign from someone else. What do you think? Where does that righteousness come from? It comes from Jesus Christ. Alien righteousness. It's not what I earned, not what my hands have done. It's what Christ has done. And that is the righteousness we receive when God gives us faith in our hearts and we embrace what He has done on the cross, cross by faith. Our righteousness is always imperfect. Short. It falls short. We fall short of the glory of God and nothing is acceptable and accepted in God's sight. No good deed, no nothing. All is of grace. If ever we want to be saved, if ever we will be saved, our best works are defiled. And therefore we need this perfect righteousness. And that brings us to our second thought here. Our faithful righteousness. Paul speaks about it in verse 20. He says, I am crucified with Christ. No longer I live. So what happened on that cross? Paul, tell us what happened on that cross. He says, when Christ was crucified, I died to my old Paul. Paul the Pharisee, Paul the lawkeeper, Paul the great, Paul the one who wanted to impress other people. Paul that thought, well, God must be happy with all my efforts. Believer here tonight, this is absolutely vital that you understand this correctly. In order to live our life as a Christian with true joy and freedom, we need to get this. We need to grasp this by God's grace tonight. Believer, you are dead to the law in Christ. Dead to the law as a way of earning. That law can no longer condemn you when you're in Christ, united to Christ by faith, trusting in Him. You cannot earn anything before God by lawkeeper because Christ earned it all. And God wants us to live out of that freedom we have in Jesus Christ. Christ. 
live out of it, draw from it, treasure it, drink it in. Or you will always be miserable, always doubting, fearing. The rest of your life, always wondering, has the Lord really forgiven me? And, and these, are, these are questions that can come. Satan loves to tempt us to those kind of questions. These are real questions. I'm not, I'm not discarding them. But this is what we need to learn, to, to live out of the fullness there is in Jesus Christ. He did it all. We have no business to look at our own works in order to, to have a right standard standing with God. There is perfect righteousness. There's perfect good deeds. There's a perfect sacrifice in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the only one who ever attained to that standard of the law. And that's what Paul says in verse 20, doesn't he? I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. Paul is still walking around. He's not dead, children, but he's dead in a certain way. How? He's dead to the old way of living. The old way, where you always think, I need to do better. I need to work harder. I need to earn salvation myself by, by being good. He was dead to the old law-keeping Paul. And he now tells us he lives through Christ. So he's alive. He's alive in Christ. How does that work? Well, Paul died when Christ died on the cross. We need to understand that. What does faith do, children? Faith brings a sinner, an unworthy sinner, and a holy Christ together, and they then become one. They are united. So, what happened all the way back on the cross when Christ died, that now is given to Paul. So there is where Paul died to his old life, at the cross. Uh, but children, remember, Christ didn't just die on the cross. He also rose again. He came in a new life. And Paul says, I live in Christ. When he was raised from the dead, I was raised from the dead in new life. What happened to Christ happened to Paul, is given to Paul. And given to every believer who trusts in Jesus Christ alone. Isn't that amazing? That's the gospel. God looks upon a sinner and sees no sin. No sin whatsoever. Because Jesus Christ, as it were, stands before Paul. 
children. He stands before Paul, and God sees only Jesus Christ, all that he does. Not what Paul has done. And when you trust in the Lord, that's what happens. There's someone standing in front of you before holy God who must condemn you because of your sins, and he sees only perfection. Isn't that amazing? And that's not all. Paul adds to that, Christ now lives in me. What does that mean? Children, this is amazing. This is very special. Think about this. Your heart, when you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, through the Spirit, God comes and and says, I want to live in your heart. I want to live in your heart. Isn't that amazing? Such a sinner. God says, that's going to be my home. I'm going to live there. Paul says that Christ lives in me. That's what happens when we trust in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. God's Spirit draws near to our hearts, and He comes to live in our hearts so that no longer we live with the old sinful sin being accredited to us, but we live in the power of the Spirit. But that's not all yet. Verse 20. The life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm united to Jesus Christ, his death, his resurrection. He comes to me, he lives in me, and he tells me that he loves me. And that he has given himself for me. And believer, this is so important that you learn to live out of that. And that you learn to fully embrace that. Perhaps you wonder often, how can I know that God loves me? Not by looking inside. We need to know our sin, yes. But not by looking inside, but looking outside. He loved me. Paul is looking where? He's looking outside himself to the cross, what Christ did. And he receives that by faith, God-given faith, yes. And he receives that and he says, that's where I see. He loves me at the cross. He gave himself. He gave his own very life for me, for me, such a sinner as I am. You don't get that by looking inside. You look outside of yourself. Children, do you remember that story in, in, the, in the wilderness when all those people were bitten by the snakes? Do you remember that? And they were dying. 
And so that's, that's who we are. By nature, we are sinners and we are dying. The wrath of God is be- upon us because of our sins. But then what happened? There is that pole made by Moses. It, 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 it's lifted up for all to see and all those who looked even though the snakes might be constantly still biting, all those who looked to that snake on the pole, they lived. So it is. With Jesus Christ on the cross, lifted up, those who look in faith, away from themselves, knowing even the wickedness that is within us, knowing how we are bitten by sin, the poison of sin in our, in our body. We look and we live. Amazing grace. That's where we see He loved me because He gave Himself for me. You see, Paul needed to correct Peter because what did Peter do? He was basically saying, he only loves you when you you keep those Jewish laws. Isn't that what we often can think? Same way? He only loves me if I faithfully do my devotions every day, and that's good. But it's not the way to be accepted. He only loves me when I feel loved. Do we think that sometimes? He only loves me when things are going well in my life. He only loves me when I have been good and serious and generous and kind and loving and all those things are important, but not to be accepted with God. Paul says here, he loved me. And that's what we need to learn to embrace by looking outside of ourselves to the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. He loved me. He showed it there, right there. How often do you and I wonder, will I ever be good enough? Have you asked that question, will I ever be good enough? If you ask that question, that shows that you're expecting still to bring something before the Lord. That's what it shows. We need to come to that point in our lives where we understand there is nothing. Nothing. The only thing that I can offer the Lord is my sins. Shining sins. Wicked sins. Terrible sins. Here they are, Lord. I can deal with them. Love me freely because of Christ. You see, 
Paul doesn't find his identity in what others think about him, neither should we, nor in what he does, neither should we. He finds it in Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ alone. And therefore, he says, no longer I live, but Christ lives in me, in verse 20. The life which I now live, I live in the flesh. I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I live believing in the Son of God. He is my perfect righteousness He is my perfect law keeper. He is my savior. I trust in him. I trust in his sacrifice and what he has done. I trust in his prayers on my behalf. I trust in his tears. Not mine. I trust in his love. I trust in his grace. And that's what Paul wants us to understand and learn and to live out tonight. Are we learning this by God's grace, dying to ourselves, dying to our self-righteousness? Who do you and I look more like, honestly, before the Lord tonight? And may it be that you are, if you look more like Peter tonight, forgetting the gospel, denying the gospel, and as a result, maybe walking in doubt and darkness, May you be led out of that darkness tonight by God's grace. And those who, by God's grace tonight, are more like Paul, clinging to the gospel, clinging to Christ's love, rest there, drink in that love more and more and more. Those amazing words tonight, let them sink in for a moment. He loved me. He loved me. Where do I see it? God gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes on Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Whosoever. Can you find your name there? Whosoever? Tonight? Whosoever. This morning I read a little story from Puritan William Bridge. There was a young man, and he had embraced the love of Jesus Christ through sovereign grace and God's work in his heart. He had embraced it, and now he was on his deathbed. And there came Satan, and he attacked him, and he said, why would Christ do that for you? This is what he said, Christ came for sinners, and I am a sinner. Therefore, Satan... Why not for me? Why not for me? He triumphed by faith. He went to be with the Lord. 
Why not from you tonight? He loved me. And then, you live out of his love. You live out of what he has done. What about good works? Because faith without works is dead, we know that. What, what should our response be to such amazing love? How can it be? Well, that's our third thought here. Paul celebrates God's grace in our text. He gave himself for me. Yes, for me. For me. Paul understood more and more how sinful he was. At the end of his life, he called himself the chief of sinners. Yes, for me. Yes, for me. Paul was not a man who didn't struggle with sin anymore. Read Romans 7. He struggled with indwelling sin. He struggled with the old man. But yes, for me. He gave himself for me. Paul says, and yet I died. Christ has become my life. Children, maybe you have a treadmill at home. What do you do on a treadmill? You run, right, in order to improve yourself. But do you go anywhere? No, not really. You stay in the same place. That's what happens when we think we always need to be better, always need to, do, to run hard, to work harder, pray harder, live better. We're never good enough. Treadmill Christianity. Running. That's not what God wants us to be. Paul was motivated by Christ's love for him. He gave himself for me. He loved me. He deals with me in grace. And so those good works that come from, from that don't want to impress God or others. No, I entered into this new life and one day He will receive me not based on any of my works before or after but only merely on His grace. And because of such amazing grace, such amazing wonder that God loves me and gave Himself for me in Christ, therefore I want to surrender my life to Him willingly and to live in a way that pleases God and glorifies His holy name because He has forgiven me, because of what He has done on the cross. That motivates us to do, to live a life of freedom, of joy, 
and peace in the Holy Spirit. We're free from law-keeping. The law can no longer condemn us. We walk in the Spirit. So what, what motivates you? What motivates me? What keeps you going? Is it the applause of man or the idea God needs to be happy with what I do? Or What will be the fruit of that life when, when we always think we need to work harder and we always need to be good and better and discouragement, darkness, broken by criticism, we think we don't get what we deserve, critical, looking down on others, that, those kind of things, cold. Let me give an example, children. When we always think we need to be better, here is the Lord Jesus. He is invited by Simon the Pharisee in his house, and he's, he's, Simon was thinking, I'm doing something good. I'm, I'm inviting the Lord Jesus Well, he had not shown all the hospitality, we read. But he thought, well, I have invited the Lord Jesus at least. And, and then as this, this, this dinner party is going, in comes this woman, this sinful woman. And Simon looks at her and says, why is she doing all these strange things? She kneels at the feet of Jesus. She begins to cry. Tears stream from her cheeks. And she lets those tears fall on Christ's feet. And then she dries his feet with her hair. And then she anoints Jesus' feet. And you know, children, when you smell in the house, the, the, the aroma of her love for Christ fills the whole house. And then, Simon pipes up, sour, loving, no, a stench. Simon thought, you know, <laughs> look at that woman, and look at me. If Jesus, who is a prophet, I mean, I'm a first-class Christian, or a first-class uh, religious person, and look at that woman, a second-class religious person. Or maybe he thought, maybe not at all. If Jesus only knew who she was, who this, how sinful she was, he would never have allowed this to happen. Jesus knew, children. He knows her sin. She knew her sin. Do you too? Do you know your sin? She lived by grace. And he lived by works. Simon lived by works. And what do you see? Here Simon is. Sour-faced. Looking down. Comparing myself with others. Never good enough. What about the woman? What motivated her to do this? 
What filled the house with love and a beautiful aroma? Jesus tells us her sins, which are many, are forgiven. She loved much, for she loved much. But those whom little is forgiven, the same love little. The more we drink in from the love of Christ, he loved me, he gave himself for me, the more we embrace that truth and know how how great God's forgiveness is, the more we understand with this woman, the more we will pour out our our lives in, in a love offering to the Lord, willing to make sacrifices, willing to give your, your all. But if you don't understand the love of Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross or understand very little of it, then your life can be more like Simon's. But oh, come tonight, look to the cross, and come and learn from Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit. Learn from the gospel of sovereign grace and forgiveness, and drink in these words tonight. He loved me. He gave himself for me. Because the more we drink this in, the more we, we are activated. We go back to verse 19. What did Paul say there? Through the law, I am dead to the law. Paul, explain me. What, how does that work? Well, the answer is that I may live unto God. more you know the love of Christ, the more you're willing to live unto God. Through the law, I'm dead to the Lord, so that you can say the purpose why we are saved is what? That I may live unto God, no longer to myself, but unto God. Surrender our lives to Him. No longer under that burden of the condemning power of the law. And that's what makes us willing to live before God. And that's the place, the only place where where the fruit of the Spirit is going to blossom in our lives. Do you remember later on in chapter 5 of Galatians, those words, For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty, freedom. Only use not liberty for an occasion of the flesh, but by love serve one another, for all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if ye bite and devour one another, just like Simon did with that woman, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. You see, our liberty is not a liberty to live for ourselves, but to live for others, to serve God, and to, in serving others, we serve God as well. The more we drink in, He loved me and treasure that. 
the more there, there begins to sprout in our lives this beautiful fruit of the Spirit, love, peace, joy, long-suffering, all those things, gentleness. And you remember what Paul said right after that? Against such there is no law. There's nothing that can condemn that. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness. There's no law against that. God delights in it. God gives it. God grows it. But he wants us to come and drink deeply from the fountains of his salvation so that our cup is full. And out of that fullness, our cup can overflow to others. So as we conclude, we have seen Peter, a two-level kind of Christianity. He needed to be rebuked by Paul. We also listened to Paul. He stood in that liberty. He delighted in that liberty. He lived by faith in the Son of God who loved him. And believer, you are called to embrace that fully. You are to come with all your sin today. You are to come to a father who looks at his children in love, who looks even at prodigal sons who wants them to come close to him and who wants to give that righteous rope, the rope of salvation, that ring on the finger, who wants to have you rejoice in the house of the Father, who wants to embrace you with all your sin, looking to what Christ has done. The Father wants you to rejoice in his presence. And to embrace everything with thanksgiving. So that you and I can look forward to the full reward that one day will be given for all those who have trusted in in the Lord Jesus Christ. A reward that we haven't earned by our good works, but that He has earned for us. Is there someone here tonight who has never embraced the gospel yet? Someone who is still living out of self-righteousness? May I ask you a question in love? What are you focused on? On yourself? I must be a good person? Or comparing yourself to this person does this and this person does that? Or maybe there is a struggler here tonight who, who, who constantly looks inside. And you see sin. We need to see sin, yes. But we shouldn't stay there. It should drive us to the feet of Jesus Christ so that you can come to and drink from the love that he has. He has given himself. That's where we learn. Come to the cross tonight. He did it for Paul. Who was Paul? Persecutor of the church. 
violent, breathing cruelty. Can't he do the same for you? Maybe you're not exactly the same as Paul. Can't he do the same for you? Why not for you? Why not for you? Oh, that your eyes may be refocused tonight and your heart might be drawn to the love of Jesus Christ. That you would be able by the Spirit to say, He loved me and gave Himself for me and find security in Him and Him alone. Paul couldn't get over it, believer. Can you? It was amazing to him. He loved me and gave himself for me. If you have lost that awe tonight, oh, I pray that the Lord would rekindle it in your heart. And probably it's because you're looking inside or into circumstances or to other things to, to find acceptance and love. And you need to be refocused. Look outside of yourself. Look to Christ, and may it sing in your heart tonight, He loved me and gave Himself for me. That's where the fruit is going to grow. That's where the love will spread. That's what brings us back to true freedom. Amen. Let's pray. Our glorious Lord, we pray that thy word would settle in our hearts and that these words would not just be words, but by thy Holy Spirit really reach to the depth of our souls. Oh God, do that work tonight in each one of us, young and old. Lord, work what we can work in our own hearts. Ignite in our hearts a flame of love And help us to drink in the fullness of that love of Jesus Christ. Bless us, Lord, with thy spirit also as we go from here. Help us to go into this week and may these words linger in our hearts and minds. May the glory of Christ shine around us. May his spirit, good spirit, lead us in all truth. And may we rejoice in his salvation and his alone, for Jesus' sake, amen.